Hi friends, welcome back to the Unknown Friends podcast, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Today you are listening to Season 2, Episode 28, in which we'll be discussing Helena Sorensen's fantasy novel The Door on Half-Bald Hill. I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wayne Productions, and if you ever want to learn more about me and my writing, you can always check out my website, kittywayneproductions.com. Also, if you're interested in supporting the Unknown Friends podcast and getting access to exclusive extra content, like monthly bonus episodes and even free books, be sure to check out the Unknown Friends Patreon page. You can join the community there as a patron for as little as $2 a month. So that's like donating 50 cents in return for each weekly book review we create for you guys. So on your end, it's a very easy, small contribution, but on our end, that support adds up eventually and it helps so much as we work to keep producing something of value for all our listeners. So thank you, a huge thank you to all our current patrons. And if you haven't yet checked out our Patreon page, I invite you to take a look and consider supporting the Unknown Friends podcast if you're able. The link to our Patreon page is in the episode description. It's just patreon.com slash unknownfriends. Now, let's talk about this book. The Door on Half-Bald Hill by Helena Sorensen. Helena Sorensen is a contemporary writer, an American, and a Christian. And besides this novel, she has written three other books, a fantasy trilogy called the Shiloh series, which I have not yet read and don't know a lot about. But The Door on Half-Bald Hill I heard about through Andrew Peterson and The Rabbit Room. It was actually published by The Rabbit Room Press quite recently, just last spring in May of 2020. So this is a fantasy novel for teens and adults, not for kids, um, not because of anything I would really call inappropriate, but just because of the heaviness of the themes and subject matter. So it's a story rooted in Celtic myth, which was pretty new to me. I had only a vague idea of Celtic mythology as something involving druids and stuff, but that is about as far as it went for me. Well, Helena Sorensen spent months and months researching Celtic, especially Irish mythology and history, and that whole atmosphere is thick in her novel, The Door on Half-Bald Hill. Almost confusingly thick at times, but it is intriguing. So we have druids and priestesses and prophets. We have a strong focus on plants and herbs and healing potions of various kinds. We have a notion of time shaped around not just the solar year, but also the phases of the moon, with festivals and rituals marking solstices and equinoxes and various lunar events. And we have tons of details drawn largely from Irish myth, so mythological figures or creatures like banshees, and the puka, and the fear bolg, and all kinds of things. 
And yes, when reading this book, you do kind of get these terms just thrown at you repeatedly. And if you're like me, you feel a bit lost for a while until you eventually start to get some kind of sense of what all these creatures are. But the point is, Sorensen has done extensive research and was clearly fascinated by this culture, this way of life and way of thinking represented in these ancient myths. And she wants us, her readers, to be fascinated as well. And I think she succeeds in portraying an unfamiliar and baffling, but also spellbinding world to her readers. So this is the background to the story. So we're in a fantasy world deeply informed by Celtic myth and history, but not strictly historical. It feels a lot like the story is set in pre-Christian Ireland, but it's not technically. It is a world of Sorensen's imagining. And so the world she envisions is called Tir Arsa, and the people in it are ruled by druids, who are basically the magicians or priests of Celtic myth. But more specifically, in the world of Tir Arsa, the various roles of a druid have actually been divided into three distinct positions for three different people. There is the druid himself, who is the sorcerer and the teacher of the people. There is the ovate, or priestess, who has healing powers. And then there is the bard, or the keeper of the word, who essentially is both a prophet and a historian or storyteller. So the people who fill these three main roles in one particular village in the land of Tir Arsa are three of the main characters in The Door on Half-Bald Hill. The hero and narrator, named Idris, is the bard, or keeper of the word, in his village, the village of Blackthorn. His mentor is the druid, and the main antagonist in the story is the priestess, named Zinerva. Um, although the dark forces at work in the world which Idris must fight are much bigger than Zinerva alone. But so here is the situation in which Idris finds himself, the state of his world. Eighteen years ago, what the people think of as the balance between life and death was disrupted. Death got the upper hand for some reason. So throughout the land, blight is consuming the plants, the river is poisoned, and life has gotten very, very hard. The people keep on planting and harvesting and tending their cattle, hoping that something will change for the better. But right now, they are barely surviving in this almost hopeless world. And what little hope they have for the balance between life and death to be restored and their land to be healed is challenged at the beginning of the novel by the priestess, Zinerva. She performs this ritual at the turn of the new year in which she apparently dies and is reborn. And while dead, she travels into the underworld and asks the ancestors for wisdom and then comes back to life and shares what she's learned with the people of Blackthorn. Well, Zinerva goes through this rite 
and she comes back to life and announces that she has learned from her visit to the underworld that death is a friend, not to be feared or avoided, but to be embraced with courage. That death is even better than life, in fact, because life is full of hardship and sorrow, and death brings the peace of nothingness. Hmm. Well, this does not encourage the people of Blackthorn, nor does it encourage Idris, the keeper of the word, who had hoped for the wisdom of the ancestors to offer something life-affirming, something hopeful, instead of what is essentially just despair cloaked in words of comfort. So this does not bode well. Most of the people of Blackthorn still cling to hope, cling to life, despite Zinerva's message from the underworld, which, if taken literally, would encourage suicide, frankly. Um, but the people of Blackthorn are a little stubborn in the very best way, and they refuse to quite give up on the hope of a better life. And Idris is with them in this hope, as is the druid, the other powerful figure in the community. But although they cling to hope, none of them knows where to find a basis for their hope. They hope kind of blindly, against all the odds, against everything they've been told and everything they've seen. They hold on to hope despite all that. So essentially, the storyline then follows Idris, the keeper of the word, as he struggles to answer the many questions he and his people face. Why has death begun to overwhelm their world with blight and poisoned water and despair? Is there hope for healing, for new life? And if so, how can the forces of death be held at bay? Or dare we ask the question, how can death be conquered once and for all? So Idris himself must journey to the threshold of the underworld and into death's domain to try to solve these mysteries and restore his land and his people. And without getting into spoiler territory, you can guess that there is a special hill in the story called Half-Bald Hill, and there's a special door on the hill, and that door is important in Idris's journey. I know that's not really telling you anything you can't figure out from the book's title, but more information would ruin some of the story's secrets, so we will leave it at that. Now... Unfortunately, this is a tricky book to talk about without revealing spoilers. I'm not going to, but it is hard to discuss the themes as thoroughly as I would like to without discussing how the story ends. So I will do my best. Um, I'll say very generally that the story has a good ending. Um, Helena Sorensen is a Christian writer, so although much of the book is dark and difficult, she does ultimately affirm life and hope and healing. I just can't reveal how that comes about. Um, but I think it's important to know, going into the story, that death and despair are not glorified and do not win. 
But how Sorensen resolves things is both what I can't reveal and what I'm most conflicted about as I attempt to review this book. That is why it's hard. So let me do something quickly that I don't often do. Because this book left me a bit confused and conflicted, I got on Goodreads and browsed through readers' reviews to see if I was alone in this experience or if others felt the same way after reading the book. And I found an interesting divide in people's responses. Mainly, readers seemed to be divided into two camps. Some loved The Door on Half Bald Hill, called it a masterpiece, said they felt overwhelmed, undone, absolutely awestruck and transformed by the story, particularly the ending. Many agreed that the first part of the book was dark, but over and over again, I saw people saying that the ending made it all worth it. So that was one portion of readers. The other main portion felt more like I did. They appreciated the book's intentions and the artistry of the writing. It is beautifully written. They appreciated the story's themes, but they felt like the book was confusing and it didn't quite live up to its full potential thematically. And that reaction resonates with me. So first of all, the confusion. On several levels, I found this book to be a bit confusing. The narration is very centered on Idris, the hero. Everything is through his eyes, and we spend a lot of time just in his head. But then all around him, there really are a lot of side characters, who it took me pretty much the whole novel to get straight. Every villager in Blackthorn is a specific character, and it's a small village, but still, that's a lot of names and roles that I found it hard to keep track of. So I got a little lost in all the characters. I also got a bit lost in the history and folklore of the place, and all the many Celtic terms that get thrown into the mix and used without too much explanation. Now, I, I want to be fair here. I know sometimes readers complain about stories being confusing, and really the problem is not the story, it's just that the readers aren't paying attention. So I want to give some room for the fact that I may not have paid as close attention to details as I should have. That said, Seeing how many other readers also felt confused by the story makes me wonder if the writing itself could be a bit clearer, for what that's worth. But then, perhaps most importantly, I'm still a little confused by how the ending worked. I mean, I, I think I get what happened, pretty much, but... I'm still vague on the details. I, I get the gist, but I'm left with a lot of questions. This is why it's tricky. I can't specify. Sorry, guys. So, so what can I conclude? I brought up 
the topic of different readers' reactions to say this. You may love this book. Personally, I appreciated what Helena Sorensen was doing, and much of the time I appreciated how she did it, but in the end, I wasn't fully satisfied with the story. But that said, many readers found it deeply moving and satisfying, so I want to give the book some room to speak differently to different people. But as far as my own take on the book, here are a few specifics about things I liked and didn't like. So people compare The Door on Half Bald Hill to Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis. And I understand why. Both depict a somewhat historical, somewhat fantastical world rooted in pagan mythology, and they both turn the story into a Christian narrative, despite or even through the pagan elements. But this is where the comparison kind of breaks down, and I'm afraid reveals the the weakness of the door on Half Bald Hill, because Till We Have Faces, in my opinion, accomplishes its Christian purpose better. Till We Have Faces is a masterpiece, in part because it suffuses the pagan mythology itself with Christian meaning. It sort of accepts a pagan setup and pagan assumptions, and even then reveals Christianity through the pagan deities and rituals. It's, it's incredible. The Door on Half Bald Hill is trying to bring in Christianity through the pagan myth, but also has to bring in outside elements in order to convey its themes. It feels like Helena Sorensen has to inject Christianity into the world, whereas C.S. Lewis reveals Christian reality within the pagan world itself. It's, it's difficult to describe. But to me, this makes something feel off about the door on Half Bald Hill. It's wrestling with itself a little, trying to, uh, trying to have its cake and eat it too or something. I don't know how to explain it. But, and, and this is a key point, whereas God is very present and very personal until we have faces manifested in one of the pagan deities, I don't see God, per se, in the door on Half Bald Hill. Now, there are two ways you could argue with that. I may be wrong. First of all, Idris himself, the hero, is a kind of Christ figure, um, but only to a limited extent, I would argue. He's not depicted as God, a supreme being, an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good deity, the way we picture God in Till We Have Faces. There's no figure like that in The Door on Half Bald Hill. Now, the other argument is that there's this good force at work in the world of The Door on Half Bald Hill, this ancient light that's older and stronger than darkness. Um, Helena Sorensen certainly rejects the idea of, of dualism or a balance to the world. She insists that the light is more powerful than the darkness. 
But I think this this light is the closest she gets to portraying God in her novel, and to me, it's not satisfactory. There's a whole lot of questions still about this light, this good force, and ultimately, it's not a person, which makes things very sticky. I think when you're trying to write a Christian story about good overcoming evil, life overcoming death, you pretty much need a a personal God to solve some, if not all, of the issues in this situation. So it gets very confusing to me when I'm trying to understand this as a Christian story, but the Christian and pagan themes are blurred and somewhat conflicting. I don't know if I'm making a lick of sense. Um, As far as the comparison with Till We Have Faces, I guess I would just say C.S. Lewis's Christianity comes through from the inside of paganism out, transforming and interpreting the whole pagan mindset. Whereas Helena Sorensen attempts to incorporate Christianity from the outside into paganism, and in my mind, that is not as successful. So, I appreciate her overall themes and her motives here, but I think the way it all plays out almost raises more questions than it does provide answers. And specifically, I know I'm running out of time, but I just want to touch on the life-affirming theme in this book. There's a lot I can get behind here. The story affirms the goodness of life. And this, I think, in Sorensen's depiction, is a point where pagan and Christian ideas actually converge to some extent. I read a couple of articles about the door on Half Bald Hill, and one was an interview with Sorensen, and she talked about the joy of the Irish culture, the way they loved living, and they lived with their whole hearts. And I think a Christian lifestyle also affirms the joy of life and the the presence of eternal hope, even in this fallen world. So in The Door on Half Bald Hill, one of the things I most loved about the story and the characters was that Idris and his people refused to give up on life. Even when hope seemed irrational, they clung to it. And they clung to each other and remained faithful in their daily duties. They carried on their normal lives and continued to care for each other, despite having no idea how long they'd be able to survive. They maintained the simple rhythms of life and kept just investing in their homes and their community, even with death looming over them. So there's great beauty in that. It's good and inspiring. But this is where I fear it breaks down a little. The foundational problem is that Sorensen doesn't depict God. At least, there's no being that is both personal and supreme. And then connected to that, her depiction of eternity or the afterlife is very vague. Even after reading the book and pondering it quite a bit, I'm still in the dark about the book's idea of eternal life and how eternity affects or interacts with 
the present life here on Earth. I, I don't at all mean to denigrate life in the here and now. I think it should be affirmed as, as good and beautiful and worth living to the fullest. But the only way to live our present lives to the fullest, I believe, is to live them in the light of eternity. In fact, in the presence of God here and now. And that truth is not communicated or not clearly in the door on Half Bald Hill because of the vagueness about eternity and the absence of a personal God. So this is the danger. In affirming life in this world without the context of a personal eternal God, we run the risk of becoming infatuated with life in this world. And that can be unhealthy, even though, yes, we want to take joy in life, but always in the right context, with the right mindset. All this to say, the door on Half Bald Hill, in my view, leans just a little bit too hard on the earthly side of things, without a clear heavenly context. So, a specific example, this this is the last point I'll make. I was a little bothered by the way the book portrayed romantic love. Because it, it lacked that eternal perspective. It was very physical, very uh, mortal. This cropped up in several different scenarios, but the one that probably bothered me most was the love interest for our hero, Idris. So he's attracted to this girl named Muriel, and almost all he ever talks about with regard to her is how beautiful she is. I mean, he also describes her as morally upright and all that, but he just keeps coming back and back to the physicalness of his attraction to her. And while I am not saying that physical attraction is bad, I am bothered by that being the almost exclusive focus. The girl, might I add, gets almost no dialogue at all, very little. She's this insubstantial, almost silent character with hardly any opportunities for actual interaction with Idris. So I think that exacerbates this unhealthy sense of her as just a physical person and not a relational person. Does that make sense? She's just this image. And add to that that her best friend Deirdre is good friends with Idris, but he's not attracted to Deirdre, I guess because she isn't pretty or something, even though she interacts with him and actually has a good friendship with him. But he is infatuated with the silent, distant Muriel. I don't know. That just feels a little off to me. I, I do like seeing a presentation of a platonic friendship, which is totally possible and healthy. But when you combine that with Idris's obsession with his friend's friend, who he hardly ever speaks with, that's where I feel like it's weird. My point was. Some of these characters, I fear, have a mindset that could be unhealthy because they're pursuing fulfillment in temporal, physical things without the proper context of God and eternity. I get it. It's very hard 
when you choose to tackle the theme of life versus death, you have to affirm the goodness of this present life. But the thing is, at some point, I think you need to wrestle with eternal life as well if you come from a Christian perspective. Yes, death no longer has any sting, it is vanquished, and yet at the same time, to die is gain, Paul says. So Sorensen tries to capture that, but for me, her endeavor didn't satisfy. The many elements she's trying to mix didn't quite cohere. I've talked a long time. And I'm still not convinced that I've communicated the way I want to about this book, but I have to quit at some point. If you have read The Door on Half Bald Hill, I would love to discuss the book with you individually, because then it's a lot easier to delve into the specifics of the story and themes, and I'd very much appreciate hearing your thoughts, because I am still conflicted about this story. If you haven't read it, do I recommend it? Honestly, despite everything I've said, I do recommend it. And here's why. Number one, I'm very grateful for Sorensen's project here. We need more young adult fantasy that wrestles with serious, heavy questions and insists that light and life win. Especially in times like we're in now, I think we desperately need stories that acknowledge the hardship and sorrows of life, but refuse to give up hope. And secondly, even though I didn't fully understand or agree with the way Helena Sorensen carried out this purpose, it clearly works for many other readers. So it may well communicate to you in a way that it didn't to me. I may have hang-ups or misunderstandings of some kind that are keeping me from comprehending Sorensen's purpose the way she intended it. And whether it does or doesn't communicate to you the way it does to some readers, it certainly has given me a great deal to contemplate and grapple with. So if for no other reason, I recommend it to you as a story to contend with. In my opinion, it's certainly worthy of that. So that is where I'm going to conclude. Thank you so much for listening to today's somewhat rambling review. I appreciate your patience and your continued interest in this podcast. I will be back next week with something I have never done before, but I hope you enjoy. I'm going to be discussing Shakespeare for the next two weeks, in fact. So next Wednesday, I will be bringing you one of Shakespeare's tragedies, Julius Caesar. And then the following week, I will discuss The Merchant of Venice, one of his comedies. I am really looking forward to talking about Shakespeare for the first time on the Unknown Friends podcast. I studied a lot of Shakespeare in college and developed a deep appreciation for his techniques and the way he wrestles with, with serious ideas in his plays. And I'm very excited to share some of those things with you over the next two weeks. So come back next Wednesday for Julius Caesar. And in the meantime, remember to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash unknown friends if you're interested in supporting the podcast. 
As always, I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wayne Productions, and you can learn more about me and my writing at my website, kittywayneproductions.com. Thanks for listening.